0: morning um, with that desire, that intent, we want to give you everything because you're worthy. And Lord, you are the only one in whose hands we can place our lives and know that it's safe and know that it's okay. Um, And so Lord, I don't, you know, Father, the nature of our sin is that we resist that for some reason. I don't know why, because you've given us every reason in the world to trust you. And you've been so good to us. But Father, I pray today that as we continue to worship our way through a few verses of your word, I pray that what we just sang would absolutely be true before you. As you see every heart here, as you know our thoughts before we think them, you know the intentions of our heart, you know our words before we speak them, you know our actions before we do them. Father, you know us better than we know ourselves. Father, I pray that today in this place you would look down and Lord, your word says that the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth, looking for a heart that is turned upward. Lord, I pray you'd see many hearts turned upward here this morning, giving you all that we got, because you're worthy. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Amen. Good morning. Got your Bibles? Grab them. Go to Romans chapter 12. We'll be looking at just the first two verses this morning. Uh, as Mark said at the beginning, we, uh, we are having a baptism service this morning, so we're going to be uh, doing that here towards the end. One of the people getting baptized, Brian, is going to be coming up and just sharing a, a brief snapshot of what God has been doing in his life over the last couple months, and, and just, uh, yeah, giving glory to the Lord for the ways that he's been at work. It's going to be a good morning. Amen? You guys excited? Jesus is alive. He's on the throne. His spirit is here. He inhabits the praises of his people. We have every reason to be hopeful this morning that he can change us. And speak to us. And so let's go forward with that expectation in our hearts. Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but, be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Pray with me one more time. Father, help this morning. Please help us. As always, Lord, open the eyes of our heart that we could see wonderful things from your word. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Well, most of you know that a few weeks ago I got back from Turkey, and I hate to be this guy that like goes on a trip and then bores you with all like, his pictures that he took when you're really not interested, um, because I've done that a couple times uh, in my sermons as I've been back already. But I want to show you one more picture this morning uh, that I believe we've got. Uh, this is of the Temple of Apollo. This was in a little city called Delphus over in Turkey. This is just a little bit of the temple um, you can see there the people in the front, and again, this temple, was, it was easily the size of a football field, about 100 yards, perhaps a little bit a little bit bigger. Some of those pillars in the background there are easily 40, 50 feet high. This thing was built, if you can believe this or not, it started, construction started back um, in the B.C. days, before Christ. Uh, they say that it was completed around 100 A.D., but so again, but, but here's the thing, it was built over a period of like 600 years. If you can believe, it. so across, across um, emperors and and rulers and multiple people just carrying this on all to the worship of a false god, of a false god, and I say all that, and, and, and quite frankly, a lot most of the ruins that we saw over there while, while we were over there, most of them involved some sort of pagan idol worship. And I say all that just to give you a snapshot of of this reality is one of the things that I took away from the trip, is that humanity has always taken their idolatry very seriously. Humanity has always taken their idolatry, or, and by idolatry I just mean false worship or misplaced worship, humanity has always taken it very seriously, still today, no matter what it costs, no matter how long it takes. No matter how much time is involved, no matter how many people, again, over 600 years, they built that thing. Humanity has always taken their misplaced worship very seriously, and here's why. Because we were made to worship. We were made to worship, but we were not made to worship some sort of false demon god We were not made to worship stuff. We were not made to worship the way we look. We were not made to worship sports. We were not made to worship money. We were not made to worship just worldly pleasure. We were made to worship Jesus Christ. That's who we were made to worship. And man, I'm telling you this morning, these verses that we looked at, they are all about worship. The centrality and the importance of these two verses for the Christian life cannot be overstated. These verses are central to what it means to live the Christian life, Um, and we've got to get them. And what they're all about is worship. You remember last week, as we came to the end of kind of the first section of the book of Romans, which was all about what is true, Paul now, in the beginning of chapter 12, transitions into what to do. So what is true and what to do. What is true? If I had to sum up just in one sentence all that Romans 1 through 11 is about, it would be something along these lines, just kind of in layman's terms. It is that man has made a sinful mess, but God has shown saving mercy. Man has made a sinful mess primarily because, not just because of the actions that we do, but because of what we worship. See, idolatry is at the heart of our sin. Sin isn't just the things that we do outwardly, although it is that, but Jesus said that we do the things outwardly out of the overflow of what's going on inside of us in our heart. And what's going on in our heart is that we were built to make much of something else Jesus, but instead of that, we make much of lesser things, or we make much of ourselves. But this is what we were created to do. And all of Romans 1 through 11 was about man has made a sinful mess, but God has shown saving mercy. And now in chapters 12 through 16, Paul is going to transition into this statement. um, And that would be something along the lines of if you have received this mercy... If you say that you've understood the mercy of Jesus Christ and that the wrath of God was against you, but he came and he died in your place, he, he was your substitute and your sacrifice, taking upon himself the punishment that you deserve. If you have received that mercy by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, then this is how you live. This is how you live. The Bible's very specific about it. In fact, up until this point, it, it's very distinct in Paul's writing style he does this in pretty much all of his letters and here again in Romans the division is kind of chapters 1 through 11 and then verses 12 through 16 through the rest of it but he always starts with what is true and in those first 11 chapters there's maybe like three or four maybe five places like a handful of times where he tells us something to do there's not a lot of imperatives it's all indicative It's all just what is true. Barely at all does he say what to do. But now, if you've been wanting Paul to talk about what to do, if you've been wanting something practical, get ready. Because here it comes, and it comes in like rapid, machine gun style fashion. He's just going to speak for the rest of these chapters about how we live in light of this mercy. And here's the way he frames it in verses 1 and 2. Again, verses 1 and 2 are of the utmost importance for the Christian life, but also understanding this book. Is that verses 1 and 2 in some ways serve as a container or a cup into which he is going to pour all of chapters 12 through 16. Verses 1 and 2 are like a cup or a container into which he pours all of chapters 12 through 16. And here's what it's all going to come back to. It's going to come back to worship. The end of last week, he expressed an oracle of worship. Today what he's going to talk about is the offering of worship. Again, end of last week, you remember where we were For Paul breaks out into spontaneous praise. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor or who has given to him a gift that he should be repaid for from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. The oracle of worship. And today he's going to talk about an offering of worship because all of life is worship, folks. And if people can take it seriously enough to build big temples to fake demon gods that don't really exist, then we should offer all of our lives to him. Amen? And that's what we're going to talk about. (coughs) Paul, verses 1 and 2 break down very simply. I'm going to argue that verse 1 is essentially the vision of what we should see in our Christian life, and verse 2 is the mission how we accomplish that vision. By vision, I just mean vision is just simply a compelling picture of a preferred future. A compelling picture of a preferred future. And again, what Paul has done is he's laid out for 11 chapters what is true, and now he's saying, here's the vision, here's now how you live. Mission is how we carry out that vision. Mission is what we do to bring about that preferred future. And that's what verse two is all about. And that's what Paul is going to explain for us. What I'm going to do is I'm just going to begin to read it again, and we're literally going to take it almost like word by word. Um, Paul Norker asked me this morning before a time of prayer at 8.30 back in the, in the prayer room, um, he's like, I got one question for you. He's like, how in the world are you going to say all that there is to say about Romans 12, 1 and 2 this morning? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I know. <laughs> There's, uh, I'm probably not but I'm going to do do my best to give you to give you the big ideas but let's begin to walk through this and get a vision of what a life of worship is all about. Paul starts off he says I appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of God. This word appeal it's the it's the word parakaleo. Um, it's it's this idea, it's two words put together. Para which means alongside. So just think parallel. Um, the same little prefix in the English language, parallel, it's like parallel lines would be lines that run alongside each other. So it's this idea of coming alongside, and the kaleo is call. And he comes alongside, and he calls you. And so I say all that because you got to get this picture here. Get this. I don't know exactly how old Paul was when he wrote this, but get this picture of like Father Paul or Grandpa Paul just coming alongside you, putting his arm around you, and calling you. To that which is of the utmost importance, to worship Jesus Christ. He comes alongside us as as an older brother to help us and urge us towards that which is most important. And again, what that is is worship. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, not just on the basis of because I'm Paul and I'm saying this, but he appeals to us by the mercies of God. And the mercies of God there, its again, it's all that he talked about in the first 11 chapters of this book. That God's wrath was against us, but in Christ Jesus, he came and he died the death that we deserved. He died in our place, and it is only to be received by faith. When we put our faith and trust in him, that we are justified. That our sins are forgiven. That we are declared righteous in Christ Jesus, because of these mercies, in light of these mercies, he's gonna say, this is how you live. This is what he's coming alongside us to appeal to, to call us to. I just wanna uh, want to, want to stop and say this, church, is that we have got to be a people that keep before us at all times the mercies of God. Amen? But to say that another way, we've got to be a people that keep before us at all times the message of the gospel. This has become quite a little catchphrase in our day, um, kind of in in big eva, big evangelicalism, um, the church at large in America. There's been a lot of books written on it and stuff about being gospel-centered, or being gospel-centric, like having the gospel at the center. And again, that that phrase. Um, has been thrown around out there a lot. There's been a lot of books and things said about it, sermons preached about it, and it's a good idea, but sometimes we say something so much that it means absolutely nothing. But this is essentially what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about keeping the gospel and the message of God's mercy at the very center of your life. The Bible says that his mercies are new every morning. Do you wake up every morning compelled by the mercy of God? I don't know if you guys know some some of you guys will know him. Do you guys know um, Marion Kuzmiak? Used to, you guys know Big Marion? Yeah, I said Big Marion. He was like 6'10 from Romania. And he he lives out in Utah now. He married a girl from out there and and moved out there a couple years ago. Uh, But he used to attend here um, and grew up in an orphanage in Romania. And he would come to prayer pretty much every week on on Sunday mornings um, back here at 8:30. And and Every Sunday morning, it wasn't, out of, it wasn't out of just religious routine, it wasn't him just mouthing words, but again, when you understood his story, it, it, um, it was fitting and you knew that it was coming out of a heart of sincerity, but every single Sunday morning, he would, whenever he would pray, he would always start like this, he would say, dear Heavenly Father, in his kind of Romanian accent, thank you for giving us another day to our lives, every week and i'll never and I 'll never forget that, but because that's the way that we're supposed to live our life <laughs> is every day, Father, thank you for giving us another day to our life. Thank you that your mercies are new this morning. Um, and Paul was appealing to us in light of these mercies to live a certain way, and now he gets into it he's going to very succinctly and concisely and yet Again, we got to take it word by word because there's so much here. He's going to show us, he's going to paint for us a picture um, of a preferred future, of a life that is pleasing to God by offering all that we have in worship. He says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, again speaking to Christians, by the mercies of God, to present. Everybody say Present. 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 This word present here is very much again. I didn't know what songs we were going to be singing this morning, but Nate, that was a great song that we just sang and very fitting for what we're talking about here in terms of I surrender. Um, the idea behind present here is very much, uh, that's the idea, is, is just that of surrender. It's coming and giving up, and you'll see here, you got to get the whole thing. He says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So, he comes and he's saying, present your bodies. Now, this is, this is undoubtedly some Old Testament language here and some Old Testament imagery that, that Paul is wanting to stir up in our minds. You guys know in the Old Testament, if you've ever read like the book of Leviticus and Numbers and a little bit in Exodus and things, um, if you really read it and not just read what, what it's about, but just read it itself, if you just read it on the surface, kind of coming to it like, okay, what's this all about? Pretending like you wouldn't know nothing about it. I mean, it is a bloodbath. It honestly is. There is sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice, usually offered by a priest on behalf of the people because of their sin, offering it before God. And again, the reason that was, was that God wanted a picture of what sin costs. Is that the wages of sin is, what's the Bible say? Death. And even in the Old Testament, before the perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ came, he wanted a picture that people would have to see. And again, it would have been very visceral to do this year after year, week after week, day after day, in in, in varying ways, and the specificities of the law and, and what was required, to come and to offer something that needed to die. And so in the same way, we come now and we present not an offering, but we present ourselves. And if you hear nothing else I say this morning about what Paul is calling for here, hear this, is that Paul is not calling here us to offer sacrifices. He's telling us, he's commanding us to be a sacrifice. And, and brothers and sisters, this will make, if, I'll try to unpack that, because you're like, ah, that's just a nice little cute cliche that a preacher would say. Don't offer a sacrifice. Be a sacrifice. I'm telling you, I'm not just saying it to be cute. If you get this, it will change your life. It really will. We're not called just to, just to give our stuff. Can I tell you something? God doesn't need your stuff. What he wants is you. He wants your heart. He wants every part of who you are, including your body. He wants your mind. He wants your will. He wants your emotions. He wants your thoughts. And he does want your actions. He wants absolutely everything. I, I think it was last year, maybe uh, maybe two years ago, I can't forget, um, I was asked to speak at a chapel service up at Malone University, and so I went up to speak at the chapel service, and they told me I had 15 minutes. Yeah, you chuck, because I can, like, I can't even say hello in 15 minutes. I mean, I just, it just is what it is. And so I'm just like, 15 minutes. I'm just talk, like, I'm just talking as fast as I can, I just, just rattling stuff off. But one of the things I talked about was this this idea. Um, And and what I said was, is that it will change your life when you understand that worship isn't just a means, it's an end. Okay? What I mean by that is that many of us view worship as just an offering we give. We might come and we might put our time in at church. We might put a little bit of our money into the offering box. Um, We might give a little bit of our time during the week to a little something extra. We might give some of our time and money and energy and effort to going on a mission trip. We have little things things that we do, but we kind of do them as a means to make sure that we're good with God. So again, we're viewing worship as a means, not an end. What this is all about is flipping that. And seeing that there, there's nothing beyond worship. Worship is the end for which everything was created, not just someday in heaven, but right now here on earth. Everything is about worship. And as I was, as again, speaking at that chapel service and just rattling this off, and I said that little phrase, it'll change your life when you begin to view worship, not just as a means, but as an end. As the kids were filing out, <coughs> excuse me, afterwards, there was, and I was, I was standing up front. There was one girl that came by on her way to class and stopped, and she just goes, That little phrase you said, worship isn't just a means but an end. What do you mean? And I had an opportunity just to talk about some of these things with her. And you could tell she walked away, like going, huh? Yeah. And again, I don't, I don't say that because it was some great thought or, or something that I said. I, I'm telling you, this is the Ah, oh, huh! This is the aha moment in the passage. This is what all of us has to get, brother, or sister. Paul is appealing to us in light of all that God has done for us through His Son Jesus Christ, to not just give an offering, not just view it as a means, but to be an offering, to view worship as an ends. This is what this is what it's all it's all for. There were essentially two different types of sacrifices in the Old Testament. There were sacrifices for sin and there were sacrifices that were given for gratitude in light of the sacrifices that were given for sin. So the sacrifice for sin, please hear me, we're not doing something as a sacrifice to atone for our sins. Who did that? Jesus, that's right. You guys are doing very well with the call and response this morning, good job. Um, yeah, Jesus paid for those. Jesus was the sacrifice for sin. But the sacrifice that Paul has in mind here, again, in in regards to some of this Old Testament imagery that I believe he wants us to kind of be thinking upon as he's he's unpacking these verses here, um, is this idea of, of giving sacrifices out of gratitude and worship and thankfulness because of the sacrifice that has, been, that has been made for our sin. And this idea of presenting here, and again, and the idea of, of surrender, just a couple other things, it's, it's very much carries with it the idea of intentionality, is that this same idea, or the same word present, is the same word that was used of, of Jesus when he was born, again, conceived of a virgin, born, uh, uh, born of Mary, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and when he's born on the eighth day, they came, Mary and Joseph, and they came and they presented him in the temple, as uh, according to the law, and according to you know, uh, male uh, Jewish boys to be circumcised and different things like that. So they came and they presented him, and it's the same idea. There, the point is, there's there's an aspect of intentionality to this. Is that God wants us to come with intentionality, and present what we have to Him? But here's the deal: when you when you present it, just like you would present. sacrifice in the Old Testament. You would present and you would give it and then it was out of your hands. You gave it to the priest on your behalf and yes it was it was costly. but you you gave it to them and then God did what he did with it. Namely he would consume it in worship. And so this idea of surrender the main thing that when I talk about surrender just a word that I want to throw out there and sit on for a second is control. See, it's very possible, brother, sister, for you to come. And again, when we just live lives where we give an offering and don't understand that we are the offering, it's very possible to do a bunch of different things, but in the end, what we're holding on to is control. We want to be the ones that are in control of our lives. You've heard me kind of rant about this in the past, is is that I think this is where so many Christians live. Somehow, subconsciously, although we don't always say it this way, we're somehow kind of putting God in our debt because of all the offerings that we give. Well, God doesn't want your offerings. He wants you. He wants you. And I just ask you this morning as we work through this, and we'll probably come back to it at the end, what are you hanging on to? in regards to control specifically that you need to let go of. What you need to do is you need to come and you need to present it to God. Is it your job? Is it your money? Is it your marriage? Is it your kids? Is it your reputation? Come and present it. Surrender it to God. He says to present your bodies, again, there was a lot of thought and I think um, back in the, These times back in the kind of the Greek culture in which Paul was writing, but in our our day as well, is that somehow our worship is just spiritual, meaning like kind of like ethereal or amorphous. Like we don't really see it. It's like in the heart, like I I've heard so many people say like they're living in blatant sin. They're they're sleeping around, they're you know, fornicating, or or whatever, the way they they speak with their mouths, whatever, and they're like, and they're like, Well, you don't know my heart. Technically true, but that has nothing to do with it. God does know your heart. And he said again, it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks and it's out of the the, the overflow of the heart that all these wicked things come about. So I don't really need to know your heart. We can look at the way that we live and then determine where where, where our heart is at. And please hear me. I've been following Jesus for, I don't know, 22, 23 years. I'm a pastor. I still sin every day but when I sin I don't go well I've got a good heart that, that's irrelevant and and here and here's the other thing just to push a little harder I've got a good heart even though I'm sinning no you don't have a good heart <laughs> right I mean we, like what does the Bible say the heart is desperately wicked above all else who can understand it, it says that God is greater than your heart That's why we need a savior See, Jesus didn't just die for our outward sins that we do. He died for even the sins of our heart. See, you're far more sinful than what you think, which is why Jesus is a far greater Savior than you could ever imagine. Because he didn't just die for what you do. He died even for the intentions in which you do them, pure or impure. Jesus is such a great Savior. And again, it's in light of that great salvation, in light of the mercies that he's shown, that we're to come and surrender everything that we are, including our bodies, our heart, will, mind, emotions, and our actual physical bodies as a living sacrifice. What does that look like? It looks like being holy. It looks like being holy. Brother, sister, can we just, like anytime we talk about holiness, I feel like people are so quick so quick to go, well, nobody's going to be perfect. Well, nobody's going to be perfect. Yes, I'm, I'm with you. Like, let's just establish that. Let's all agree. Nobody's going to be perfect this side of heaven. Yet the Bible commands us to be holy. When the Bible speaks of holiness in this life as it is now, it, it's, it's, not, it's not just talking about sinless perfection, but it is talking about wholehearted consecration. Again, giving everything that we are to him Again, speaking to brothers and sisters, as Paul is, speaking to Christians, as people look at your life, what would they say is most important? Would they say it's the Cleveland Browns, at least in the fall? Good luck with that. You'll be disappointed. Would they say it's your money? Would they say it's your reputation? There should be no question for the Christian as to what is most important to them, as to what they are consecrated to. This is what holiness means. It means to be set apart. Set apart to what? Set apart to the living God. Not just making sacrifices, being a sacrifice. It's a living sacrifice that's holy, it's set apart, and it's Acceptable. This this idea of acceptable um, again, other English translations translated somewhat somewhat differently, but um, it's also translated sometimes as pleasing. Being pleasing to God, it's literally two words put together, meaning pleasing and then well. So it's kind of like really pleasing is the idea. It's well pleasing. It's probably the most literal translation. Is that when we offer all that we are to God, we will be set apart. And it is well-pleasing to him. And what he's doing is he's calling us to be like Jesus. In John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus said, He who sent me, the Father, is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing, same word, acceptable, pleasing to him. Again, in giving all of ourselves to God, what he's doing here is he's calling us to live like Jesus. Our rabbi, our teacher, we are disciples. We follow after him. And then he says, and here's, here's the phrase, he says, which is your spiritual worship. And this word spiritual, let me unpack this for a little bit. Again, I, like, this passage is so, 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 so rich. In English translations, um, depending on what you have, the ESV translates it as spiritual worship. Other English translations, may, you may have one that uh, translates it as reasonable act of worship. Or active service. Um, the word is lit- literally logikos. It's from, and you can hear it in there, it's where we get our word logic. Okay? The root word of it is the word logos. So maybe you've heard some of that before is that in John chapter 1, Jesus is, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus was the Logos. He was the Word of God. Okay? And from that, then, just very different form from logos, logikos, he, he is the logical expression of of God, of who he is. But here, here's the point, is that spiritual here, the reason it's, it's translated spiritual is because yeah, it's, it's something like, if you, again, if you understand what I'm saying, like logos in regards to word, like I have words right now, I have thoughts in my head, and I'm communicating them to you with words. Okay? You with me? I'm trying to get something inside, in, inside me, outside of me, and to you, and, and, and into you. In the same way, Jesus came as that expression of the Father to us, but this idea of logikos or, or logic—it's—it's it's not just spiritual or something that we can't see inside of us that we're trying to get outside of us. It's also just the idea of just simply logical. <laughs> and I just want to say this, okay? Maybe I lost you there in all that explanation, but hang with me. The word logikos, logic. Here, here's here's the point: is that sometimes I hear people saying like, <laughs> just giving all to Jesus. Like when we when we find somebody that's just given all there is to Jesus. You know what we usually call that person? We call them radical, right? I mean that guy. Have you ever said that? That guy, that girl, man. She, they're they're radical for Jesus, dear friend. Please hear me. Giving everything that you are to Jesus, offering all that you are as a living sacrifice to Him, it is not radical. It is logical. And again, this is a game changer. It's not just a few Christians that are called to live a radical life. In light of God's mercy, in light of the gospel, in light of all that Jesus has done, there is only one reasonable, logical response. It is to give him everything. Are you with me? Jesus is worthy. And now, again, I said verse 1, Was this expression or this or this vision rather um, of what Paul is calling us to, and I just want to sit for a second, and again, I said that this vision vision is just simply a compelling picture of a preferred future just just think about this compelling vision of the preferred future that Paul has given to us here that every Christian would live this Logical response to God's mercies of giving everything that they are to God. In, brother and sisters, imagine a world like this. I mean, is that, is that not compelling? <laughs> to understand that it's not just for a select few. It's not just for the Billy Grahams or the D.L. Moody's or the John Wesley's or the Charles Spurgeon's. It's for every single Christian to live a life consumed with the fire of God for his glory. When you would would offer a sacrifice in the Old Testament, the fire of God would come down. When when the temple, when Solomon dedicated his temple in 2 Chronicles, he dedicates it and fire falls from heaven upon that which is dedicated. This is what God wants for us. It is a compelling vision of the future. One more just, just very brief illustration, again, in regards to this and just a picture of what, it, of what it looks like. You guys know this story. One of the most beautiful stories in all of the scriptures. One of my personal favorites. Mark chapter 14. It's the last week of Jesus' life. He's just getting ready to go on the cross. He's been talking about how he's going to be crucified and resurrected. They, every time he says it, the disciples are like, Yeah, what? Okay, yeah. Like they're just kind of confused. They don't really get it. But there's but there's one lady who I think understood it a little bit more than the rest. Her name is Mary. She's Martha's sister. And they're throwing a party for Jesus um, uh, at this house of a guy named Simon the Leper. And stuff. And so and in the midst of this party, everybody's. Everybody's coming around, milling around, and all of a sudden Mary comes out. You guys know the story with this, this vial, like this vase, a very costly perfume. And it says she takes it and she breaks it, and it was just a pound of it. Or, or, I'm sorry, it was a pound of it. Like that, that's a lot, okay? So like if I, you know, I do like one, maybe two squirts of cologne in the morning. If I do three, Hannah's like a little too strong, all right? just two or three squirts, a pound, and she breaks it, and she begins to pour it over him. And again, it says not just that it was costly, but it was very costly. And here, here's the point, is that, that the, the fragrance, the aroma of her worship, it filled the room. And all of a sudden, people who hadn't been very, really focused on Jesus, or maybe they were just trying to get near him and tell him how awesome they were, all of a sudden, everything stops because of this fragrance that's now filling the entire place. Dear friend, here's the point of what Paul's saying in Romans 12.1. What if not just a Mary did that? What if every Christian lived that way? The world itself would be filled with the fragrance of our worship, do you understand? This is the vision that Paul is calling the church to. It's a high calling. It's a holy calling. It's an acceptable calling. And it's a logical calling. It's what God calls every one of us to. How do we get there? How does that happen? Verse 2. Here's here's how we here's how we roll. Here's how we do it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Again, so rich. Do not be conformed. <coughs> the Greek word suskematizo. Suskematizo. It's this it's literally this idea of a mold. And it's the idea of like a, a liquid or maybe like um, Did you guys ever make like homemade like popsicles or something like that? Anyone? Okay. I'm making up this illustration on the fly, so work with me. Um, but it's the idea of a mold, and you would pour some sort of juice or good stuff, and then you, you put it in that mold with a little stick in it, and you freeze it. It's, it's just the idea of, of a mold or of a form. This is what the world wants to do to us. This is how you get temples to false demon gods that are built over 600 years. The, the word here when it says, do not be conformed to this world, a better translation for world would be the word age. Do not be conformed to this age again. Not just, um, not just the world, but like like the ideas, the philosophies of this age. Don't be conformed to it. And this is actually the primary verb here. That's our responsibility. It's a negative. The point is, the world, this age, is going to try to conform you. It's going to try to put you into its mold. The primary command here at the beginning that Paul is telling us to do in order that we might live lives like Mary that are fragrant offerings to God, the primary command, Paul says, is don't let them do that. Dear friend, do you understand that almost every moment of every day on TV, on your phone, in the world, the people you talk to, on billboards, everything around you, it is trying to conform you to to this age, to this world. To say it another way, to just maybe help us get it, the world is trying to disciple you according to its philosophy, according to what it says is true. It's trying to put you into its mold. And again, this primary command here that's our responsibility in the text, this imperative, is Paul says, do not let them do this. Now here's the implication. Brother or sister, maturity in Christ is not just going to happen. It's going to happen with intentionality as we present all that we are to God and as we resist the world trying to conform us to who it wants us to be. Okay. This is what, this is what we have to resist. This is what... This is what we have to be against. Can I just, um, can I go on just a tiny little rant for just a second? (laughs) Safe place. Dear friend, I, if you are new in Christ, you are, by definition, a baby Christian. And it is beautiful, and there is nothing wrong with it. However, if you have been a believer for 10, 20, 30 40 years, and you still act like a baby Christian, it's not cute. When you got a little kid with little floaties on splashing around in the kiddie pool, it's cute. When you're a 45 year old man with floaties on splashing around in the kiddie pool, you call the police. When a little baby messes their diaper, not cute, but understandable when a grown man i mean it's not cute if you're a little baby in a nursing mother's arm and you're sipping from a bottle oh that's fitting that's what's supposed to be if you're an, if, if you're a grown dude with a beard sipping from a bottle it's not fitting here's the point when he says do not be conformed to this world listen You've heard me, especially for those of you that call Mercy Hill home, you've heard me over the last several months, especially as we've gone through end of Romans 8, 9, 10, God is sovereign. Yes, God is sovereign. Listen, let me say it again. God is 100% sovereign, and man is 100% responsible. Get used to the tension. That's the way the Bible talks. And if you've been in Christ for decades... And the Bible, again, I'm not making these categories up. The, the writer of Hebrews says this. He says, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone again to teach you the basic principles of the law. He says, though you should be on solid food, you need again to drink milk. There's nothing wrong with milk, but we don't stay on milk forever. Here's, here's my point, okay? I rant over, I'm trying to, be, trying to be practical here. Is it like, Brother, sister, you have to fight the mold that the world's trying to put you into. It's not just going to happen with no intentionality. You need to get into the word. You need to get in prayer. You need to get around God's people. And you need to do that till the day you die. And if you're not doing that, here, here, here's the thing. In the end, the body of Christ, like we're all going to help each other. But in the end, let me just cut it straight with you you are responsible for following Jesus. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Different word here, different word. He, it's, it's not a comparison, it's a contrast. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Greek word is metamorpho. Metamorpho. You can hear where we get the English word metamorphosis in this. So, so transformed. Don't, don't be conformed. Conformation is like from the outside in. That's what the world does. It wants to put you into its mold and squeeze you into what it wants you to be. Transformation is something that is long lasting and comes primarily from the inside out okay metamorpho it is it is like the classic example that's always used is that of a caterpillar turning into a butterfly again it was the same thing but it isn't a caterpillar butterfly it once was a caterpillar and it's been metamorphoed transformed into a butterfly. And here's the thing, and this is what what truly breaks my heart. I want to acknowledge that in seasons of my life, I have been there, and I think every Christian is there at certain times. Is that, again, that imagery of a caterpillar being transformed into into a butterfly, I want you to imagine for a second a caterpillar pretending to be a butterfly. You know, I, it's just not going to work. They're not going to get off the ground. But that's where so many Christians live. So are just, just pretending. Dear brother or sister, God's mercies are such that you don't have to pretend. The message of the gospel is that no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you try as a caterpillar with your little tiny feet to flop them and to try to fly like a butterfly. Dear friend, it's not going to happen. But the message of the gospel is that he will come and he'll save you and he'll transform you into something that you once were not. And, And again, technical but honestly very important, the primary, again, verb that we're commanded to do here in verse 2 is to not be conformed to the negative. Don't do this. But this, this, this idea here of being transformed, it's passive. He says be transformed. It's the idea of we're not the one acting, we're being acted upon. And again, this is sewn, this, this is woven into the very fabric of the Christian life. That when you believe, at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell you and to seal you and to begin to work in you from the inside out to bring about this transformation as we stay in his word. Because again, he's going to say here, but be transformed how? By the renewal of your mind. Do You see how he's giving us the mission? He's showing us very practically how to move forward into what he has for us. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He wants to renew your mind. This is why I said earlier, brothers and sisters, you've got to stay in the word You've got to stay in prayer, and you've got to stay around his people. As you just do these things, over the course of your life, transformation happens. As we do those things, knowing that in all, as we do that, it's not just going to be about information. It's going to be about surrender. It's going to be about worship. It's going to be about presenting everything that we have to Jesus Christ, again and again and again, as he takes us deeper into what, he has for us into understanding the depths of how much we need him. Now he presses on here again, just one or two more key ideas, and then I'll wrap up, I promise. He says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing you may discern. You see that little phrase? That by testing you may discern. All those words, those six English words, words are one Greek word. Okay, and it's the word dokimazo, I think. Anyway, but here's the point. Is The point is, it's a very vivid word, and it's the idea of like a money changer that would be testing for authentic versus counterfeit money. So back in the day, again, most of the the money was coins, but they were very soft metal, so it was very easy to counterfeit things. What people would do is they would shave the edges, and a lot of it was actually from like silver or gold. And so the contents of it itself was actually what is valuable, not just, you know, paper like our money's printed on today that doesn't really have any intrinsic worth. It has to be backed by something. But back in the day, it was actually like silver or gold itself. And so what you do is you'd, they'd shave a little bit off and melt down those shavings into something else. And so people would, people would do this and they could pretty much do it quite easily. And so what you had were Dacamizos, these people that like actually in the marketplace, they were honest, they were honest traders, they were honest merchants. And they wouldn't just accept any money, but they would examine it to make sure that it, hadn't, that it hadn't been shaved down, that it wasn't counterfeit, but that it was authentic. This is what Paul is calling us to do. He's saying we will be transformed by the renewal of our mind as we stay in the word of God until the word of God gets in us with the help of the spirit of God being acted upon, that by testing, okay, that by dakimizo, we're going to be testing to discern what, what the will of God is. See, when you offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, it's no longer about your will, it's about his. Right? It's about his. And we're to examine closely, like somebody examining counterfeit money, or whether it's true or good or not, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Dear friend, this is... I think probably the greatest summary anywhere that you'll find in the Bible of what it means to live the Christian life. To live a life that is pleasing to God. And let me come back around and say it again a different way, although I've already said it. It is not possible to live a life that is acceptable or i.e. pleasing. It's not possible to live a life that's pleasing to God if you don't view all of life as worship. It's not optional. It's essential. And all of life is worship because, again, we don't make offerings. We are an offering. And we give him absolutely everything. That last little word there, he says when we do this, it's good and it's acceptable and it's perfect. And that word perfect is this word teleos. It's, It's, again, this idea of being like a fitting end um, Hannah over the last couple weeks has been working uh, on a painting um, you guys hear me say all the time I have no like I literally have zero artistic ability even my stick figures are bad I know you've heard me say that so many times but Hannah and several of the boys are very good artists and she it's actually quite big it's a big canvas and I was going to put a picture of it up there but I, I didn't get it then this morning but um or didn't have time to send it to Conrad but it's this beautiful picture of, it's kind of like an abstract kind of uh, thing of of some water and a lake and a, I don't know, kind of like a sunset sky or whatever. Again, I shouldn't try to describe my wife's art because I'm really bad at it, but, but it's beautiful. And I knew she'd been working on it, and this past week she sent me a picture of it, and she said, I finished my painting. And again, I knew, she'd been, I knew she'd been working on it. And again, I was like, oh, man, sweetie, that's going to be, that looks awesome. It's going to be good. She, ah, it's not quite done yet. And, and again, there's this like scale. And again, I, I'm not an artist, so I don't really get it, but I kind of get it. And it's like you just, how much do you do? When do you stop? Do you add a little bit more? But here's the thing. When it's done, you just know it. And she sent me a picture of it and said, I finished my painting. And I was like, yeah, that's it. And that's the idea here behind this word perfect. It's this idea of like, guys, this is what God wants to lead us into. Is this, this fitting end. It's like the picture is, is, is done. There's nothing, yeah, it needed everything that it had, but there's also really nothing you can add to it. He wants to lead us into this type of life, you understand, that brings him honor and glory and brings us deep, deep, deep satisfaction. Does that make sense? Such good news. We're going to roll into baptism here.